You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 341, what do Chandler Bing and Philip Neville have in common? Jermaine Greer's journey from 1960s feminist to outdated bore and that men-only event at the Dorchester. Should the charities keep the money? It's all coming up after the fall and theme from Sparta FC. R.I.P. M.E.S. Everybody say
One of many versions of that song, it would seem. There are at least three recorded versions in circulation. Um, it, well, the, the first version comes from an album which actually ended up being released under a different name to the name it was originally meant to be released. Um, but such is the uh, the weird and wonderful and frightening world of The Fall. Uh, that was The Fall, featuring the unfortunately now late but still great Marky Smith. And uh, my favourite Fall song, I think, and the uh, version number one of that was used as the theme and music for final score on uh, on BBC and we uh, there have been a lot of videos circulating today of Marky Smith of course having been uh, unfortunately having died yesterday but um, one of my favourites is still Marky Smith uh, they invited him in to read the football results for final score most most enjoyable for his invention of entire football teams at some points that was that was excellent so I'm a huge fan of that song which also as someone once pointed out um, managed to rather um, psychically predict the Greek financial crisis by about three or four years. <laughs> he he really was uh, the most remarkable one-off character, as was he? Absolutely. They won't make them like that anymore, will they? I, 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 I doubt we'll ever see uh, a musician like Marky Smith achieve that, the level of uh, fame that he did. It just wouldn't happen now. It, 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 it was the sort of punk revolution that enabled him, I think, to to do what he did. But I, I was um, I was thinking today about interviews I've read with him. His, his range of dislikes really had something for everybody and it... <laughs> they did he was very he was very equal ops in the stuff that he hated and i admired him for that I mean, many of his interviews seem to end up with him giving the journalist a kind of a verbal catalogue of people and places and things that displeased him and but but the thing is he always he always seemed rather battled hardened to me and um and i don't mean this disparagingly it's just that he mm. looked he looked old by the time he was probably 30 um so you know i think life life has, has been harsh to him but the thing i was thinking is uh, about marky smith ultimately he brought a lot of joy to people and if you can say that about anyone then it could only mean They've lived a good life. And Absolutely, I that's think the thing. so. I mean, I mean, admittedly, if you were a member of the Fall, the group itself, I think perhaps you might mm. you might differ with that view. I said, I'm looking forward to reading. My friend Dave, poor old Dave, Dave, uh, I have various friends called Dave, but this one lives locally to me, and he. Um, was always lending me things which it takes me months and sometimes years to read or watch and then get back to him and he's always sort of dropping increasingly barbed hints mm. about things that I have of his and I do have his copy of The Fallen by Dave Simpson which is a book dedicated to tracking down former members of The Fall and finding out sort of what happened. There are over 60 former members of The Fall mm. as Mark e. Smith formerly uh, famously said um, if it's me and your granny on bongos and it's still The Fall mm. and um, apparently uh, there are 40 or so of them that have been found for this book. Um, I think it's something like a third of the fall stayed for less than a year, which perhaps mm. suggests that Marquis was not, not always very easy to work with or work for. But um, but yeah, the, the the impact of the fall seems to have been huge because they went on for so long and they and they produced well something like 32 studio albums in, in terms of original material. But they did tons of live albums and EPs and sessions and all sorts of things. And I love the fact that there are probably you know i have about a dozen friends who are really big fall fans and every person's favorite album is different mm. no, and I, I think that's really cool yes well welcome to the podcast from the parish council it's um, it's episode 341 mm. uh, i'm terence stackham and the woman with the best shirt collection in all of the uk 
It's Juliet Harris. <laughs> I, I, it always entertains me that most of the content that is posted onto my Facebook or mm. I am tagged in, when I see a message that someone has tagged me, is it an article about shirts? Is it an article about wardrobes? Is it an article about clothing? Oh, look, it is. <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, I'm not in a shirt at the moment. I'm in a jumper. But um, okay. uh, very nice to be with you all once again. Hello. We've we've mused before on this podcast. It's absolutely impossible to predict what topic is going to be the hottest news item of the following mm-hmm. day, never mind the following week. The well, following hour, I think, is sometimes stretching uh, in- it. Indeed. Um, when... Earlier this month, Netflix announced that they were to release all 10 series of the hit NBC show Friends. Mm. They would have had no idea of the frenzy that was to follow. And that frenzy Frenzy. was not not in a good way. (laughs) Frenzy. Frenzy. Uh, Well, yeah, you saw what I was doing there. I did. Yeah, very good. Mm. Um, Friends ran for, for, (laughs) for 10 years, 1994 to 2004. And... I watched many of the episodes and I'm part of the problem because at the time I don't remember jumping off the sofa in horror. But now mm. people are binge watching the, the Netflix streams of Friends and noticing, um, well, well, it's all there. The, the stereotypes, sexism, body shaming, homophobia, transphobia and an almost complete absence of non-white faces. Now, mm. Jules, is it fair to judge Friends, and indeed the 1990s, by today's standards? Should we walk away from Chandler Bing or, or perhaps watch from behind the sofa? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? And and there's a... I know I often quote the New States on this podcast, and I'm a huge fan, that it has to be said. But there's a really good article on this um, from the New States, written by Helen Lewis. And Helen Lewis is, I think possibly about 15 months older than me but she's very similar in age to me so often I think I like her as a writer because she often says I feel she's very in tune with my kind of views on things Mm. because she's often writing from a same cultural place and I was a a big fan of Friends as a teenager and indeed lots of my friends were everybody at school watched it it was usually because we were talking you know we're talking about the days when it was on on Friday evenings and we didn't necessarily have multi-channel viewing so Mm. much then so everyone would talk about it on Monday, a bit like perhaps the young ones with the generation beforehand. It was all that anybody talked about on the Monday. And, you know, when you look at Friends now, it is not it's almost like looking back to things from the 70s although interestingly i think what people find frustrating about friends and frustrating about the fact that it is to use that lovely modern term not very woke about these things Mm. is that actually in the 70s nobody was very woke about that stuff it was it was a completely different time and i'm not saying that i enjoy some of the kind of misogyny or, or or you know sexist smut of some of those 70s sitcoms when you look back now and some have dated better than others actually the whole point of the 90s felt like at the time that it was a much more enlightened time which i think is why it's a bit shocking perhaps it's not surprising that something has dated in 20 years when you look back on it but i think it's it's quite surprising if you looked back at something from the 70s in the 90s you wouldn't be surprised that it hadn't you know that it had dated badly but it is slightly surprising that something from the 90s which was meant to be you know an altogether more enlightened time has dated poorly so so i don't know it's it's not possible and not comfortable but equally to some extent it was it was of its time i suppose now also uh this week being judged by moments from the past um the one where he deletes his twitter account it would be called <laughs> if phil neville appeared in friends uh, <laughs> the title um it's the appointment predicted by juliet of mm, philip neville so- 
Psychic Juliet, Gypsy, Gypsy Rose Harris strikes again. Philip Neville as the new manager of the England women's football team. And mm. last last week I rashly mentioned... Well, actually, technically it was Marina Hyde that, and, and Louise Taylor, I think, that predicted it at the Guardian. So let's give credit where it's due. Last week I, I, I really did rashly mention how pleasant Phil and his <laughs> wife Julie seem on Twitter. Yes, they made uh, me feel very bad in the process. That's right. Well, Mrs Neville in particular seems kind and thoughtful. Yes, she she does, really does. Yeah. But then, and how often does this happen these days... People with greater forensic skills than me discovered a handful of tweets in which Phil Neville, many years ago, in the guise of humour, made some very unfortunate comments about women. Now, they're nowhere near the Toby Young class of crass misogyny, but no. but, but tricky. That's quite a high bar, though. Uh, it's a, that, that's right. That, that is setting the bar very high. Uh, yet again, though, we wonder if we should consider someone's suitability for a current job role based on moments from their past. Well, and actually, I um, I think to some extent, and I think, again, this we do feel like broken records at the moment because it always seems to be the same stuff that comes up all the time. But to go back to our conversations about Gay Times Man and, mm. and our, your friend and mine, Zoella, mm. um, a shame we've never managed to get her for that guest spot on this podcast. Oh, my God. I'm sure, I'm sure she'd love to pop along. We, mm. We're such fans. But um, she... <laughs> but. Um, but the, but the thing that was sort of used as a kind of excuse for them, for the, the, the Labour chap from Sheffield, Jared O'Mara, mm. was that they had gone on journeys. Everyone goes on oh, journeys nowadays. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps they could have applied v- very for... Very crowded train. Yeah, I was going to say, they could have applied for one of those four, three tickets for the, four mm. tickets for the price of three group saves. But anyway, they, they were all on journeys because they were teenagers when they put this. And I think there is, I mean, Myrie Black, the, um, the SNP girl, mm. um, would, you know, was tweeting sort of things that were advised when she was a teenager. Because let's not forget, she was about only about 20 when she was elected. Mm. So it will be, we might have to change our attitudes because as we now are into the first generation that really properly grew up online mm. and lived their lives in a different way and a more open way some might say um, you might say that's unwise and that people shouldn't be necessarily living their lives like that but the reality is that many do and i wonder if societal attitudes might have to change to accommodate that having said that phil neville was not a teenager five years ago in the same way that T- toby young was not a teenager five or ten years ago when he was posting those things mm. and when you are a fully formed adult and posting these things in public when you are already in the public eye it's not like, you know, I, I do have some sympathy with the with the younger politicians that are criticised for having written things when they were in their youth about six or seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Mm. Uh, we don't want, I don't think we want to end up with a race of politicians. Well, put it this way, the new Labour politicians are con- of that era and that generation of politicians, like, you know, the Yvette Coopers of this world, are co- Ed Miliband before suddenly everyone liked him again. Um, they were <laughs> constantly criticised for uh, for you know being wooden and for being co- what we call career politicians, mm. the idea that you know you you join your youth council in your school at the age of eleven and then spend your whole life being careful in case you get elected. I don't think that electing a generation of politicians like that. Although I'm a huge fan of Yvette Cooper and Ed Miliband, but I don't think 
electing politicians whose life has only ever been politics is going to be particularly healthy. So I do understand that. But having said this, Phil Neville had already been in the public eye for some years before that. We've talked previously on this podcast, actually quite recently, about to what extent we should consider footballers to be role models. But I think they do have a certain responsibility, particularly when the financial rewards and the rewards just for playing for your country and for having this huge profile Mm. are, are so great. I know that we've talked previously about Phil Neville using that that profile for charity work Mm. and him and his wife and I really applaud that but I you know particularly if you are managing a women's football team I do think that if you have had made misogynistic comments even if only in jest and you're not you that doesn't that doesn't suggest to me a mindset that really is on top of the idea that you know we should be treating women with respect I know it might make me sound humorless but um I have to say I did laugh at one or two of them but Mm. aside from that yes I do have objections to someone with that kind of attitude towards women being employed as the manager of the women's football team particularly given the issues that they had previously with Mark Sampson once again well done Dan Ashworth for yet more uh, yet more sterling work at the FA I roll but uh I also have a problem in that there seemed to be better qualified candidates that weren't supported. And there was this good article, again, in The Guardian uh, that pointed out that actually, I'm trying to find it now, the um, the one of the, the better candidates was there were a couple of really good women candidates that could have done well. And they, in the end, chose not to to apply because they didn't get support from within the NA, the, the, uh, the FA. They didn't get... You know, they're now saying that they that they are, you know, that they interviewed, they looked at 147 candidates mm. and whatever. Whittled it down but to it, six, I believe. Uh, six yeah. candidates. But just, sorry to interrupt, but just one quick Mo, thing. Yeah, I, sorry, Mo Marley was what I was going to say. Mo yeah. Marley was taken interim charge. And, um, you know, they, 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 this lady writing in the Guardian, sorry, just mm. before you say, mm, this um, Martha Kellner says writing in the Guardian, and I think this is, perhaps the FA should have asked how why a job leading the third best team in the world let's face it they want to win the world cup next time mm. with youth teams endowed with talent and offering a 120 grand salary a year became so unattractive it opted for a man whose only experience of management is in backroom roles at manchester united during david Moyes' disastrous reign and at valencia where the manager happened to be his brother gary also she says caretaker manager at Salford for one game he was apparently suggested the fa lightheartedly by a broadcaster doing Christmas drinks. Um, she says when women's aid feels compelled to make a statement 24 hours after the appointment of your national manager, usually something has gone amiss. Yes, yeah, so there was a story, but I, I have no idea whether this is uh, the, the um, truth of this or not, but it, it, it had credibility. They were saying on um, the radio last night, I was um, driving home um, after the dismal Arsenal Chelsea um, well Chelsea's dismal yeah, performance sorry, sorry, sorry for your loss, my, yes. my loss yes and um, but they were saying that um, they, were, they whittled it down to six and mm. um, they told all of those six that they would be going through all of their social media and their online presence in the past and four of those six withdrew in that phone call before they uh, oh, really yeah oh, uh, and th- that th- those four were women and uh, one of, I think the other one was a man, and I think eventually he he also withdrew or it wasn't mm. pursued, which only left Phil Neville, and he didn't declare. 
these uh, no. tweets because to him they were just it pro- and, and jokey. It didn't even occurred to no. him that it was an issue. That's right. But apparently the FA were aware they had gone back through all of his ten thousand tweets. So God knows who got mm. that job. Um, wow, but great. Cons- and, and who also didn't think it was an issue and considered it wasn't an issue and and gave him a pass. Now I think the moral of of all of these issues of the, of the modern age is that there isn't a rule. There just isn't a rule that fits every circumstance. So in in my view, I think, um, you know, I, I, I can see the problems with friends that we talked about earlier. I'm not so sure about that. But I don't want to see the downfall of Phil Neville. But then on the other hand, you know, who, who am I to, to, to judge? Well, and, and it's, 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 it's difficult, really. It's, I mean, I don't think he's suitable for that job anyway. Mm. Aside from, I, I do agree, I do think that is a good point, that if women's aid are saying that they're not happy, that's not mm. genuinely an indicator that no. it's gone very well, I don't think. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if those women thought deeply about some of the stuff they put online and managed to talk themselves out of it for reasons that perhaps weren't that serious if you were to look at it under a spotlight and yet Phil Neville blunders on thinking there isn't going to be a problem and all of a sudden there is and he's joked about punching women so it's interesting I bet you if you looked at their tweets they wouldn't be anywhere near as bad and I think it also says a lot so it says a lot about that I think and I think it also is is i think rather telling that it is you know that that it is that way around gender wise i think i think it is rather it says a lot that women i think talk themselves out of things and men talk themselves into things that they perhaps shouldn't be in in the first place jermaine greer has (laughs) has the 1960s icon become a 21st century bore (laughs) that's next after suzanne vega If you want me, you can find me left of center off of the strip In the outskirts and in the fringes, in the corner out of the grip I'm only in the outskirts 
Joe Jackson on piano and from the soundtrack of the movie Pretty in Pink, Suzanne Vega and Left of Center. And uh, Americans, you're spelling center wrong. Just to let you know. <laughs> yes, you're doing the language wrong. This, this, this is all wrong. Um, back in the early 1970s as a teenager, I remember friends pointing me towards this startling new writer, Germaine Greer. And by the time I reached college, I was I, I was rather in awe of her as, she, as a writer in Oz magazine. It seemed terribly bohemian. And she had a regular column in the Sunday Times. Um, when the Sunday Times, under the editorship of um, Harold Evans, seemed very progressive and uh, exciting. And she even, Germaine Greer, co-presented a peculiar pop and comedy show with Kenny Everett on ITV. Throughout the 1970s, she would appear on television, on the radio, in print and and, and in person as a strong advocate of the women's movement. Then, although she continued to write books, uh, Germaine Gray, she seemed to be less evident in the the media. Some strange Mm. things happened. A peculiar book about the beauty of teenage boys, which was... Rather questionable. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't Mm. good. An unlikely appearance in the celebrity Big Brother house, and more recently, Mm. a series of public pronouncements that seem far removed from feminism. This week, she gave her opinion that the Me Too movement was made up of whinging women, and to paraphrase, that some of the victims of sexual harassment, particularly in Hollywood, were actually giving their consent. Now, what's happened, Jules? Has, have Jermaine Greer's views on feminism become outdated or has she changed her views over the years to the point of being absolutely unrecognisable to that outspoken advocate for women in the 1970s? Well, as as with all things in life, I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B, frankly. Um, so when we think about feminism, we it's often described in terms of waves. So you kind of get, and I think we're on wave four now. I think I, I, I was coming of age during the third wave. I was the third waver. And now the sort of the Me Too and the young activists coming up are very much sort of the fourth wave. The, the thing that's causing a lot of problems amongst my feminist friends at the moment, particularly within parts of the Labour Party, which let's face it, it's never exactly trouble-free, but the, the latest flashpoint is the rights of trans women mm. and whether or not... Well, I, I, you know, I can't believe I'm even saying this. I believe, you know, I'm a fan of this phrase, trans women are women. I, my, as my good friend Sarah says, I don't see how this is so complicated. There are some really unpleasant things said by, I think, people styling themselves as radical feminists. There's this huge row over the expression TERF that's used, which is, stands for trans-exclusionary um, radical feminist, I think, or reactionary feminist. Basically, it's used to criticise people for being i feel transphobic and then they get they then get cross and you know nothing changes but uh, so but there are there are generational differences i had a chat with a friend of mine the other day about this who's a feminist who's just recently turned 50 and she worries that lesbianism will be erased she worries that 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 you know that that uh, she worries for the invasion of women-only spaces and so in a way I do not condone transphobia at all. I think it's incredibly unkind. I think the use, the phrases, things like, oh, men pretending to be women, I think it's really horrible. I think it's really unkind. And actually, I think if you think about it, 
you know, if you're a man that 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 feels that they that they have been born in the wrong body and that they want that they that they do identify as female and that's how they want to live their life, that's not a small thing to do, really. That's not something that you would. I don't believe that's something that people do if they're mucking about, you know. I don't think that's something that people do simply to invade spaces. I think it's really regressive and unpleasant and not at all feminist or sisterly to think that about people. And and there's something that's gone very wrong there, if you think. And and, and maybe maybe radical feminists like Jermaine Greer, who really were radical in their day and fought really hard and did did a lot of good things in their day for women's rights. I do very much believe that. I don't want to denigrate any of her past achievements because they are many, I think, and she really was a trailblazer. But I I do have a problem with the fact that like you say, I don't feel that their move, their, their their views have moved on. There might be reasons. I mean, so there might be reasons why they haven't. In the sense that I can sort of see the argument that they fought very, very, very hard to 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 win and maintain rights and freedoms for women in a way that the suffragettes did. But then they were trying really hard to change attitudes as well. I feel that the suffragettes were the generation that got sort of institutional change, and the feminists following them were sort of the generation that tried to get social change, if you see what I mean, and find a far more widespread change. And I can understand why if you've really, really fought for change, anything that that seems to involve genders that perhaps messes with that frame of reference, I could understand. I don't condone it, but I could understand why you would be quite defensive about that. I do understand that. But equally, I do find it really difficult when Jermaine Green makes these pronouncements, particularly in the Me Too stuff. As you say, that is particularly upsetting because I do feel that she says that she thinks that, that it will... that that the me too movement will pit women against women ultimately i don't agree and actually the biggest thing that i have a problem with with jermaine Greer that she said in this interview was that she um is writing a new book which will be called on rape and she has said which is a, a follow-up to her previous issue on rage and she said my feeling is we ditch rape altogether as a crime because it's hopeless i've seen the police working up a rape case trying desperately hard to build it up so it will can't stand up in court and wasting their time the burden of proof is too high and that's because the tariff is too onerous rape is a daily crime it's not spectacular what we need is a coherent law of sexual assault i think that is absolutely appalling frankly i think to denigrate uh, to, to, to denigrate a crime committed by men against women i think is appalling i don't see how any feminist can try and 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 denigrate rape as a crime to make it a small deal it's not just a case of her saying that the system doesn't work the idea that such an appalling crime against uh, you know really taking away you know against consent taking away a woman's autonomy to do with her sexuality i don't see how any feminist can be saying oh well, there's too you know the sentence is too high for that and actually i don't think that rapes of uh re- re- sorry rates of rape conviction try saying that quickly um are you know they're about seven or eight percent i think they're awful i don't think that's because police desperately try to build up cases that that, sometimes they do but i think it's you know time has in history has taught us that actually it's far more to do with power and sort of endemic attitudes in society and in chauvinist sections of society which although they are changing now i genuinely believe there are being efforts made to change the culture of the police but they you know that is a relatively new thing and i i am disgusted by the idea and i think that 
given that Jermaine Greer has talked, and in that interview she talks about the Weinstein movement in terms of power, because often when you talk about sort of, you know, sexual in, uh, gender inequality, it's not about sex, it's about power. It's not about, you know, oh, you know, I'm a man. Uh, you know, the, the kickback I got when I put on Facebook recently when the Weinstein stuff kicked up and said, look, guys, it's just not enough for you to say oh i'm a decent bloke anymore it's not enough for you not to do these things you are the ones that are going to change your fellow men you know attitudes on this you are the ones that have got to say to you know your male mates who are making you know inappropriate comments about women in the pub look mate i don't want to hear this shut up you know it's not right you're it's, it's your responsibility you cannot stand back anymore you've got to try and you know, so many men go you know, not so many but a few men going oh what am i meant to do oh i don't have relationships with women how can i you know how can i change this and the answer is power if you are a man you uh, we're still living in a patriarchal society where you inherently have more power so it disappoints me that jermaine greer who's meant to be a feminist can't seem to grasp that particularly around around rape which is the crime that has the most power of all because of what it involves i do wonder if some people and miss greer may be among them find that in order to stay in the public eye it's ever more necessary to say outrageous things to get yourself heard above the but but that's but that's the key phrase isn't it staying in the public eye it's not about wanting to get things done oh no about what and that's and that's where i find her tiresome if she well that's why she went into celebrity big brother she didn't do that to gain a platform it was to stay in the public eye absolutely and that's that's my problem with it she's not i don't see her as a serious feminist figure anymore because I don't think she's trying to be a serious feminist figure anymore. She's trying to be a celebrity. Yeah, you, you don't get attention by giving moderate views to no. news outlets. But I, I think um, many of us, in the wider in the wider aspect of this, of, of someone's views changing, I think many of us move centrewards as we get older. I mean, as, as a 13-year-old, I went on a march to protest the war in Vietnam and a few no, years... Yes. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think I've told the story before. I, I, I walked from the London School of Economics and we were supposed to be going to the American embassy yeah. uh, in, in uh, Grosvenor Square. And um, I thought I was a big grown up boy. I played football at school in, for my school mm. team in the morning and I went straight from there onto the train up to London and to, to uh, the London School of Economics. And we were, we were I was crossing the road um, heading towards uh, Mayfair and Tariq Ali, uh, one of the leaders of protesters, oh, yes. uh, uh, took my hand and said, be careful crossing the road there, young fellow. <laughs> And I was so mortified that I was sort of identified as like a young child mm. that I immediately um, got on the tube and came back to Waterloo and came back home. Uh, oh, I was dear. just so mortified that I wasn't seen as a grown-up. Um, but, but Tariq Ali was trying to be really, really kind and nice. But I, I just suddenly felt like instead of a big grown-up protester, I suddenly felt like a little schoolboy. So, oh well, um, I am. I am sorry for <laughs> your loss in that. But respect. you know, a, a, a few years later, we joined the anti-nuclear weapon protests at Aldermaston. Mm. I was a strong voice in support of Rock Against Racism. Wore my coal, not doll badge with mm-hmm. pride. And I would still argue for for some of those those past causes. Yeah, but I'm sure you would. I have found that I've moved a long way from the left and I suspect this is common as we grow older and maybe maybe it's the desire for a quiet life and perhaps that 
that may be found in the centre ground. And maybe that's an element. I'm not supporting Miss Greer's rather weird views, but I am trying to explain away her move from the sort of far left of feminist advocacy into the more safer centre ground of uh, slippers uh, and and watching friends on Netflix. Feminism anymore, really, though. I don't necessarily think it's about being left and right. I think if you're unable to. If you're if you're kind of denigrating, if you're say if you're trying to produ- reduce the severity of rape as a crime, I don't know how much of a feminist you are. I, I can't disagree with that. Oh, 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 oh! That dismal charity dinner for men only at oh, the Dorchester. Oh yes. Several charities are giving the money back. Are they right to do so? That's next after this glorious example of one drop reggae mm. from Etana. Then we can't get my soul enough. So you beat them, so you mistreat them. So you lock them down and you think that you've won, but them my whole of meditation, out in the Irish
truth from the youth You can steal the fruit, not the roots example of the one drop drumming style of reggae from her mm. 2008 album the strong one that's itana and roots it's nice to hear some more modern reggae actually mm. most of the reggae that i listen to is um sort of vintage stuff really and and scar stuff and stuff like that and blue beat and things so it's nice to actually hear some some modern developments in the world of reggae i enjoyed that absolutely because that's what i generally listen to um reggae from the the 60s and 70s uh myself and it's delightful to hear some modern reggae that doesn't have the some of the dreadful lyrics that yeah, the so-called dancehall style had in in the nineties and two thousands, which really turned me Rock away from too. very yeah, much absolutely. from from modern reggae. Much credit uh, must go this week to the reporter Madison Marriage and her newspaper, the Financial Times, for putting yes, absolutely on their front page this extraordinary and, and alarming story of of the mm. charity event at London's Dorchester Hotel arranged and uh, this this should have set the alarm bells ringing surely for men only and featuring waitresses this was the only uh, inlet that women had yes. waitresses hired for the night as hostesses many of them seemed to have been young students trying to get a, you know a few a few extra bob and these very young women told to wear skimpy dresses black underwear and what the organizers described as sexy shoes which i'm not quite sure how <laughs> anyway. I know, I'm, I'm struggling on mm. this but also isn't that like beauty in the eye of the beholder i mean uh, i know exactly. i've been out with people that have very much admired my doc martin shoes so uh, i don't know if that counts exactly now, as we, we we now know, many powerful men from business and politics attended and went on to proposition, grope and harass these young hostesses. As a result of the publicity, some of the charities have said that they're returning the donations given that were raised at this event. Great Ormond Street, the hospital for children, is said to be returning over half a million pounds. It's understandable that a stand is taken in this way. But mm. doesn't that simply mean that half a million pounds won't go towards saving children's lives at Great Ormond Street? Maybe they should keep the money, Jules. Well, it's difficult, isn't it? And I do see that this this is a very awkward situation. And I actually feel quite sorry for these charities because they have been put in this position by the really insidious behaviour of others. And this is what I find so offensive. The idea that, you know, we have what is essentially, let's face it, a grope fest go on at, at the Dorchester and, oh, it's OK, it's for charity. You know, oh, fine, go ahead then and grope mm. these young women. That's obviously, I, I didn't realise 
why didn't you say um it's it's a bit you know i find that really insidious and really manipulative the idea that oh well it's for charity so it must be all right and then it's put these charities in a really difficult position like you say if you're struggling with year-on-year government cuts to nhs funding i think we've all stopped pretending that isn't happening now Mm. i think we can actually see that is going on now and has been for years you know since well since 2010 funny that Mm. and um and now we're in this position whereby you know if i was a a trustee at a hospital and we needed a new a and e you know we needed a new unit or whatever we need new equipment for a and e you know i'd have a huge difficulty in turning down half a million you know that would be i find that immensely hard but also if you think about the duties of a trustee and think about from a trustee's perspective you have certain fiduciary duties but that's not limited to money you have to act in the best interest of the charity and you also have to keep in mind the objects of the charity and the, and the sort of people that use the charity. And I'm not saying that NHS trusts are charitable, but you see what I mean. You know, if you if you're if you're working for a charity mm. that is raising money, and you know, what does it say? Where you get your money from? I mean, we've talked previously on the podcast about charities and how they're big business, and but they certainly are now anyway. And so, if you're taking big donations. I think that you do have a duty to look at the source of income that you're, that, you know, like all businesses, looking who's, where's the money coming in from, and what do your donors say about you? What does your income say about you as a as an organisation? Do you, because if you're an organisation that is built up by your, if you're reliant on donors, and you then basically you are reliant on their good name and. I would probably give the money back on the basis that. I don't think it would be in the interest of the people that used it, whatever charity it was I was running. I think that it would undermine our charitable purpose and our charitable objects, depending on what they were. But if if charities are there to deliver social good, I don't think there is any social good whatsoever in the behaviour that took place at the Dorchester, as reported in the Financial Times. And I think that actually you do have a duty if you're running a charity to make sure that the do- that that you behave appropriately and that the donations that you receive you know come from come from appropriate behavior and i know that it's perhaps not accepting laundered money you know it's not like there was some bugsy malone style shootout or something and it, and it perhaps it's not from organized crime but i still think that it's immoral i think that it being raised by by behavior which belittled women that you know i think that that it's interesting anyone involved in it and i noticed there's now been a list public published of men that had tables mm. some depressingly familiar names yes. um vernon k for example had a table there apparently but i was interested by the the comments of a writer friend of mine a former magazine editor on facebook today that said i suspect that, that david walliams hosting the event this will probably cost him the post of children's laureate which he probably would have got had he not been involved in this i would think and she said actually that is a great shame because it would seem that david walliams is a very talented children's author many of his books have been adapted into to drama to dramas on tv and uh, lots of my friends who have kids speak very highly of his writing and said that he's really got them interested in 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 literature he comes and does the storytelling festival in hastings and it's out every time he comes down almost instantly but equally it's interesting she makes that observation about the children's laureates because the idea that you go and you host or present at that event 
I think shows a lack in judgment and I think it shows a failing in judgment and a failing of morality that actually even if you haven't thought it through it's it's either it's I don't know what's worse the fact that you don't care that that is a whole event the whole structure of the event is belittling and treating women as objects and as your property rather than as individuals I don't know what's worse it not even occurring to you that that is a you know the fact that you don't care about it or the fact that it hasn't even occurred to you in the first place that it's a problem and I do think that anybody that is complicit in that has to has to examine themselves and actually I think it's right for charities to examine themselves in doing things and I would not want to accept the money whilst whilst certain circumstances for charities at the moment make it very very hard to have morals when it comes to money equally it's it's when we're tested I think that we that we learn the true character of people and I think if you fail that test I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. I hope that the behaviour at this event is a rarity. I mean, to this day, I still belong to charitable organisations myself yeah. that exist to raise money. In particular, I'm a trustee of a showbiz uh, charity and also okay. I belong to one um, for the homeless and the jobless in mm. London. And I, att- and I think that's really important. And I think that, that people, good people like you doing those things is immensely important and I wouldn't want them to be put off. Yeah, and I, I attend fundraising events and I've never come across <laughs> this sort of behaviour. No, may- it sounds vile. Maybe I just you know don't move in those circles, thank goodness. But it's right mm. that this awful President's Club that organised this event is closing down. But as so Bad. often, yeah, exactly. So often with these sorts of stories, you rather get the idea that... They're closing it down because they're caught, not because they know yeah. the event should never have taken I, place. I'm sorry, brackets, I got caught. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, um, men who've attended, you know, have now given statements or tweeted that they utterly condemned the behaviour. But I, it's disappointing. I mean, it's, I'm glad that Theresa May has commented on it, but it's disappointing that Mrs May, our Prime Minister, only says that she, she feels uncomfortable, was the mm. word she said, at the reports. And I don't think, feel, you know, feeling uncomfortable isn't well, one of her ministers was, and one of his, her ministers was there, and he is right, still in his indeed. post. Yes. Indeed. So, so it's it's you know it's it's tricky, isn't it? And I and it, and it's upsetting and it's depressing. And you know, the less said about Theresa May, the better. Frankly, everything that she stood for, she never seems to manage to be able to stand up for. So, uh, mm. so yeah, standing for something and standing up for something turn out to be two very different things, as far as Theresa May is concerned. So, um, yeah, I I think it's it's enormously depressing. I think it's a pity that people are sorry they got caught. And actually, it was very telling. Yvette Cooper tweeted. In an interview, some extracts from an interview um, with uh, uh, someone that was there, an interview with one of the waitresses that was there, and she said that she'd spoken to one of the men who said something along the lines of, I'm glad my daughter isn't here, and I wonder if some of those men, you know, you feel Mm. like saying to them, so it's not all right for your daughter to, to undergo this kind of treatment, yeah, it is all right for someone else's daughter to undergo that kind of treatment. The rank hypocrisy and the failure of men to see cause and effect which i think is politically why we're going through the period we are at the moment frankly mm. i you know i find that just appalling just just you know unspeakably appalling that's utter, that's an utterly dismal point that the man said about his daughter now to to, to bring us some cheer 
Tell, where might we find your public appearances this week? Well, and I'm, I'm glad to bring cheer. I'm glad that the thought of me going out brings cheer. That's very pleasant. Um, I'm actually going away next week. I'm going up to the People's Republic of Manchester um, to watch someone else's public appearance. I believe Maxine Peake is DJing in a club in, in uh, Chawton next Wednesday, and I'm going up there with my friend Grace to watch it. So I'm looking forward to that. But I will be around and about on the radio. I'll be doing the Saturday Social on Saturday evening, a mod special, so very much looking looking forward to that and i'm also um looking forward to um i will there will be an indie wonderland show next week although i won't be around i will make sure that i make a show next week which is 8 to 10 p.m barricaderadio.com indie old rock and miscellaneous i enjoyed doing the post-punk special last evening which then turned into the marky smith special because mm. the news broke as i was going on air so um so yeah not not so much out and about myself this week but i will be on the radio should you wish to catch up with me thanks to you for listening of course <laughs> And thanks to our magnificent executive producer, Rona. Yes, I echo those thanks. Playing out now, um, George, with former Peel favourites, whose lead singer now works as a chiropractor. Yes, indeed. All of those post-punk rockers, they've most, quite a lot of them have gone on to be mm. complementary therapists. There's a complementary therapy kind of centre in Hastings where lots of practitioners work out of called the Wellington Centre. Funny enough, my bandmate is the general manager there <laughs> at the moment and someone said to me, you did not tell me that the drummer from the head coatee is now an acupuncturist working <laughs> out of the Wellington Centre. So I don't know what it is about sort of post-punk and, sorry, post-punk and rock bands that kind of end up as complementary therapists but the reason that I picked this tune to play is that actually I was meant to play it last night in my post-punk special, which I had planned painstakingly. Thanks, Marky Smith. Difficult to the mm. last. And and I'd hoped to play this song. And in the end, I had to drop it for a full song. I'd, I'd, I'd played several full songs. And this was one of the victims of that. So I'm going to play this now. I, I love Young Marble Giants. I think they're a, just a, a great band that, that really did something in a different way, I think. And they've had several reunions over the years although they seem to have kind of left it for now but um really interesting and i i just this is so cool there's not a lot to this and it is remotely unbothered and that's what makes it so appealing i think the young marble giants and this is searching for mr right Blind as the fate decree 
You have been listening to a DAC Media production.